welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. I'm going to ask you to take a Bible if you don't have one open and have it open at Isaiah 53 because we're going to go through it um, kind of this whole time. And I'm going to be in 52 for a little bit and I think you'll benefit from having your Bible open, those at home as well, however you have your Bible here today. Now, the words in Isaiah we're going to look at today, they're so moving uh, that my hope today is simply to say, Spirit, do your work. Uh, The words speak for themselves. Uh, that the Lord would use these words from Isaiah 53 to speak to you on his own terms. The Spirit wants to work and change and convict. And Tim Keller says it this way. He says that we are reading and using the Bible rightly only when it humbles us, critiques us, encourages us with God's love and grace despite our flaws. And so that's my prayer that you would be encouraged and critiqued, that you'd experience the love and grace of God as we simply look at God's words. I'm not sure I'll have much to add to the wonderful words of the scripture that are here today, but we hope and pray that we'll see Christ clearly as a servant that God has sent. And I wonder sometimes if we Christians, we've just taken this for granted. Do you ever treat God like your handyman? (laughs) You know, God as personal assistant. Just look at your prayer life. And sometimes that's a good clue of how we see God. Lord, look at my stocks. They're really down this week. Lord, I have a spouse that doesn't appreciate me like he or she should, Lord. Lord, I have this aches and pains here. My doctor said my cholesterol is too high. Lord, I need you to do something. Hey, let's bring all of our concerns to the Lord. But sometimes we catch ourselves treating God like a handyman, like a personal assistant. And, and for some of us, maybe it's a surprise or maybe we just need to be reminded the Lord Jesus did not take the cross to be our personal assistant. He came to cleanse you from sin. He came to offer you a way back to the Father. He didn't come to improve your life. In fact, he came and he says to you, I want you to lose your life to find it. This is a radical call. And so as we come to Isaiah 53, my prayer is simply that the Lord would be speaking. Because if Jesus came as a suffering servant, we shouldn't be surprised that we, his followers, that we will suffer. And some of us listening today, we're suffering physically. We're suffering financially. We're suffering emotionally, relationally. We are suffering. I'm telling you, Isaiah 53 is speaking of one who understands suffering. You have someone who empathizes with whatever you're going through right now. The teachings of Jesus are hard. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's a hard thing to do. Love your enemies. That's a hard thing to do. Take up your cross and follow me. And we're going to be talking about the cross today. See, obeying God's word can be really difficult, but friends, obeying God's word is joyful. Your future self would tell your past self that it's worth obeying. Your future self would be looking at this moment as we look at Isaiah 53 and remind you to listen, to soak in the Spirit's nudges this morning. What he's trying to tell us to encourage us, to challenge us, to critique us. And so would you join me in a short prayer? Lord, we do ask that by your Spirit. Critique us, humble us, but yes, encourage us because of your love and grace found through your Son, Jesus. Amen. 
Now, we've been making our way through the book of Isaiah, and we've come to this important section. It's the section of the servant songs. There are four of them, and we're going to look at one of them today. It describes a Messiah in all the servant songs who will be exalted and yet actually comes as a humble and a meek servant. And so let me read, actually, if you follow me to Isaiah 52, Starting in verse 13 is where I'm going to start reading. It says this, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they shall see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. And then chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? What does this mean? Well, the arm of the Lord is a reference to God's power. And though this servant will look weak, he comes with strength and authority. What Isaiah has been saying for all of these weeks that we've been studying is that our sin is so deep that a great reckoning is to come, that God's holiness demands that we need our sins to be cleansed, that judgment is coming for those who fail to repent. And so no matter how hard we try not to, we still look down on people, don't we? Our sin is great. No matter how generous we try to be, and I know we are generous, there's always someone else we didn't help. There's always more we could have done. The chasm is so great between God's generosity, his mercy, his perfection, that God sees there's no way to bridge that chasm, and so he sends a servant. And we'll know this servant to be the eternal son And so God comes down because we couldn't go up. A servant willing to be marred for our sake, Isaiah 52 and 53 says, to take care of this gap. Now, I don't know if you heard the news, but by 2024, Elon Musk is promising we'll be back on the moon. Don't mind, it'll cost about $3 billion to do it. So look away, look away. But anyways, we're going to do it. I'm excited about that. And the thing is this, though, even though it's going to usher in this new era of moon tourism, which it will, I'm not so convinced that any time in my lifetime it's going to be affordable for me, okay? Now, so I have a plan. So I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is, since I can't afford Elon Musk's future t- moon tourism uh, rocket ships, uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to go to the One World Trade Center because you know what? If I go to the top of that building at 1,776 feet, I'm going to be closer to the moon. How how do you like that? That's my budget version. Or how about this? Some of you smart people are saying, well, Pastor Tim, I got a better plan for you. Why don't you go to Mount Everest? 29,000 feet. You're even closer to the moon. And some of you really, really smart people, you'll Google this and you'll discover there's actually a business class jet that I can buy a ticket on, and that flies at 51,000 feet, even closer to the moon. Isn't this a great idea? If I can't get to the moon, at least I can get closer, but here's the reality. No matter how hard I try, no matter how tall of a building we build, I will never reach the heights of the moon without help. And so what the suffering servant did, he saw our predicament. And so he came down 
Because all of us on earth, we're like a bunch of people trying to run around trying to climb a higher mountain or a taller building. Look how good I am. Look how religious I am. Look how much money I gave. The reality is we're all sinners. We're all sinners just trying to climb buildings to get closer to God's goodness and perfection. We all need a servant to come down and to bridge the gap. And so in this fourth servant song found in Isaiah 52 and 53, I'm going to share three views of the Messiah that are presented. And the first view is this. It's the first view is as the world sees this suffering servant. The second view is as the saved see this suffering servant. And the third view is how God sees this suffering servant. And as we enter into the season of Thanksgiving, my prayer is that the weight of our sin makes us more grateful for the immensity of God's mercy revealed in this servant song. May the Spirit speak to us today. Let's, let's look at verse 2. Join me there. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Let me pause there. Because the first view of the servant is as the world sees him. And what I'm going to say is this. The world sees this servant with contempt. What a loser he is. For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root. Now, I want you to notice the allusion right here to Isaiah's early prediction that the Messiah would be like a shoot coming out from the stump of Jesse. That's Isaiah 11. I've spoken about this before. Now, as you read Isaiah, Isaiah has no problem mixing his metaphors, which is a challenge as a preacher trying to prepare a sermon. It's, he mixes his metaphors all the time. But I want you to keep this one in mind, this idea of the stump of Jesse. And I want you to think about this beloved, beloved Advent hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And one of the verses <clears throat> that maybe you remember, O Come, Thou Rod of Jesse, Free thine own from Satan's tyranny, from depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory o'er the grave. What Isaiah 53 is saying is what O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is singing, that the future Messiah will come from Jesse, will come from the line of King David, saving all who will repent. What do they save from? Save from the hell of being separated from the perfect and eternal love of God. Save from the gap of not being able to reach God. So the servant comes down. See, what Isaiah does, he then describes a servant in more detail. In Isaiah 53, verses 2 and 3, he continues. He says, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. This root that grows, grows but without beauty. And that's surprising. Because it's the line of the king of David. It should be glorious, it should be beautiful, but instead it's ugly. This offspring of the glorious king of David will be unpleasant to look at. And in fact, in verse 3 and 4, it goes further. It says that this person would be acquainted with grief. That word for grief literally is sickness. That this person, when you look upon the suffering servant, you'll see someone who's physically sick. I 
not sure what vision that Isaiah got, but what we know is this, that whoever the servant is to come, will be well acquainted with your griefs, your emotional griefs, your financial griefs, but yes, your physical griefs, the sicknesses that we know of people in this room listening, friends and family members, Jesus is well acquainted with all kinds of our griefs. May the Spirit remind us that we are not alone. He's well acquainted with all forms of grief, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And yet also at the same time, the suffering servant has authority over them that we know that this Jesus who came, he came to heal spiritually, physically, emotionally. In fact, Abraham Kuyper famously said this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. I want you to know that Jesus is well acquainted with your grief. And so you know what you can do with your grief, your physical, your emotional, your spiritual sickness, you can bring it to him. And see, Jesus, you need to take it. I can't do it. I need your help. You who are well acquainted with grief, would you please take this? This is the suffering servant that Isaiah paints a picture of. Now jump to verse 7 with me as the view from the world continues on this suffering servant. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. And so he opened not his mouth. And we're reminded that Jesus himself, he's crucified as the Passover lamb. And perhaps Isaiah envisions the Messiah in his last days. We don't know the vision that Isaiah received. But he gets a pretty clear picture of this suffering servant who is experiencing all kinds of grief, all kinds of pain. And I wonder if Isaiah got some kind of blurry vision of a figure on a cross, on a tree of some sort a bloodied person, people mocking this person, or maybe a vision of a lifeless body being placed in a tomb. This suffering servant, this picture that Isaiah gets, the picture continues in verse 8. Look there. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked. And with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Friends, you have to imagine, this is hundreds of years before Jesus shows up on the scene. And Isaiah is accurately describing Jesus' last moments before his death. That he would be killed among criminals and buried in the tomb of a rich man. Now, this is more surprising even because it was common for Jews at that time to leave the corpses of executed criminals unburied as part of their punishment, public shaming. But no, what we know is this from Matthew 27, a man named Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy, rich member of the Sanhedrin who often opposed Jesus. But in this moment, Joseph, a rich man, he fulfills this prophecy about the Messiah and he buries him in his own tomb. Amazing. See, this first view of the servant as the world sees him is as a criminal or as a loser, as with contempt. And we must ask ourselves, remind ourselves, what was the crime that Jesus committed? Why would he be crucified? 
What did he do? Well, he befriended the outsiders. He befriended the weak and he challenged the strong. You remember when Jesus was being criticized by religious leaders for hanging around sinners, he replied this and listen to his words. Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, or as we learned here today, the grieved. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus' mission is clear. I've come for the hurting. I'm coming for those who know they need help. When Pilate asked Jesus if he was a king, he replied, you have said it is so. You see, Jesus' kindness towards the despised and his challenge towards the powerful, that's what got him crucified. And see, the world looks at this suffering servant, and we know this to be the case, uh, suffering servant on the cross, and they see that this life is a waste. What a waste, Jesus. Oh, but we know something different. The world sees his life as a waste. And see, here's the thing, that Jesus chose to look like this. He didn't have to. If Jesus had an Instagram account today, he'd have almost like no followers. He's not attractive enough. He's not cool enough. He could have chosen to be the strongest, the most handsome, the most charismatic person on the planet. If he were the height of an average Jewish male of 2,000 years ago, he'd be 5'1 to 5'3. So the lesson is there, a perfect godly height. That's the point, right? He could have chosen to be any height, any strength, any amount of beauty, any amount of power and influence. And what did he choose? Weakness. He chose to be ridiculed. He deserved to be born in a palace, and instead he came with humility in poverty. He was born probably in a room meant for animals, laid in a, in a manger meant to feed animals, instead of being led laid in a royal bed made for a king. He chose this because he chose to bridge the gap and he wanted to make a way. And in God's wisdom, this was the only way. This lowly carpenter whom no humiliation he would not be willing, unwilling to endure. That's amazing. This king even a torturous death on a cross. You see, but the world sees a weak person. The world sees a loser. The world sees someone despised. And guess what? They're going to see his followers in the same way. Do not be surprised, fathers of the suffering servant, that you will be seen as weak as well because our world loves strength. So let me ask you, in a world that loves strength, are you willing to be seen as weak? Be honest, in a world that loves beauty, are you willing in Christ to be despised and rejected? See, followers of Jesus will experience the pain of their leader. He said it. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have grief. But I, Jesus says, have overcome the world. Trust in me. Take up your cross. It's worth it. See, but the saved will savor the sacrificial love that brings true life. See, this is the second view. The first view is the world sees this Jesus with contempt. The second view is how the saved will see this Jesus. Look at verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. 
I'm reminded from Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so we might become the righteousness of God in him. This Jesus becomes sin for you, saved. Savor that reality. He didn't just take on sin. He became sin, this final sacrificial lamb. Look at verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we were healed. You remember the Jews, they relied on the blood of the lamb as a substitute each year for their sins. But they know somewhere deep inside it cannot fully make them right with God. And see, what Isaiah says is that the servant is now the once and for all sacrifice. After Jesus, no more sacrifices are needed. No more effort on your part is needed. You don't have to make yourself look beautiful or sinless or strong. Jesus says, stop trying. I already know what you're really like. Rest in the arms of my grace. Confess your sins. There's no way for you to bridge the gap. After Jesus, no other sacrifices are needed. His death brings peace and his wounds bring healing. I want you to keep in mind this amazing thing. The resurrected Jesus, for whatever reason, decided to keep his wounds. When Thomas, you know, basically says, I'll, I'll have to see with my own eyes if Jesus really is alive. And so Jesus says, hey, Thomas, you want to touch my wounds? Here they are. Why would he keep his wounds? I don't know exactly. But I know that he chose those wounds for you and for me. He chose to keep those scars. He's well acquainted with your griefs. And he's saying, I've overcome the world, trust me. Better days are to come. Better days. We savor this vision of this good and kind servant. Take a look at verse 6. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The saved are going to savor, savor this story. You know, in Acts chapter 8, you don't have to turn there, but there's this amazing story of this Ethiopian traveler. He's actually a, a leader in the court of the, of the Ethiopian queen serving her, and he's reading the scroll of Isaiah. He's a, he's a God-fearer, a God-follower. And the Spirit prompts Philip to come up alongside this Ethiopian caravan, and he says, well, tell me about your reading. And the Ethiopian says, I'm reading the Isaiah scroll, but I'm confused what this means. And so the Ethiopian asks Philip, do you know what does it say? What, whom does the prophet talk about? And it's exactly this section and this verse that we just read. And Philip explains Isaiah 53, this servant who has suffered as our substitute, the one whom the Lord, Yahweh, has laid on the iniquity of us all. And God uses Isaiah's words, written hundreds of years before this Ethiopian existed. And it points him to Jesus on the cross. And I'm telling you, that same spirit points us to Jesus on the cross today. Just last week, a young man hearing the gospel in our church 
gave his life to Christ. The Spirit is still working today. Last month, another young man gave his life to Christ. You know why? Because the same Spirit is still working today. Two years ago, when I first showed up, some random visitor from Singapore showed up, and she gave her life to Christ because the Spirit is still working today. The simple gospel, Isaiah 53, 6, that we all need someone to bridge the gap. And his name is Jesus. And guess what? I think the Spirit is still working today just by reading Isaiah 53, that we as a saved would savor this picture of the suffering servant. And for those of you who aren't yet saved, that you will get this picture in your mind. You would say, I need him. I want him. I need someone to bridge this gap. A friend of mine who's working with Afghan refugees, just last week, they baptized an Afghan refugee in the name of Jesus. Because you know what? The spirit is still working today. The simple gospel of God bridging the gap. That's how the saved see him with gratitude for coming down. The Savior who's bridged the gap. Lastly is a third view that we'll see in Isaiah 53, verse 10. It says that God sees him, and God sees him with the great exaltation of the suffering servant. Look at verse 10 with me. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt, for he shall see his offering, his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. That the many will be accounted as righteous. You see, that means this, that God looks at sinners and he sees the righteousness of Christ instead of our sin. See, the world sees a suffering servant with contempt. The world sees a loser. The saved should see someone beautiful who made a sacrifice for our sins. And what Isaiah 53 is saying is, and God, from his perspective, sees an exalted one. A beautiful work. Take a look at verse 12. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, for he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, and yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. You see, Isaiah makes sure his listeners know this, that they will not mistake the servant's suffering and death as defeat, that they will not mistake the the apparent uh, outsideness and weakness of the suffering the suffering servant wouldn't see him as someone who was lost. Oh no, he has done exactly what the Lord God wanted him to do. That the Lord has laid on the servant our iniquity. That it was the Lord's plan to send his servant so that many would be saved. That he would bear the sin of many. But you can't get saved by relying on your own efforts. And this is what we get reminded of again and again. For we, even as Christians, we keep forgetting. The work is done. I like how Martin Luther says, he says, the sin underneath all of our sins is to trust the lie of the serpent that says we cannot trust the love and grace of Christ and we must take matters into our own hands. 
I must worry more. I must try harder. I got to give more. I got to be more faithful. You don't have to do any of those things when you're resting in the grace of God. When you rest in that grace, you want to do good, but none of that good is going to get you any closer to the moon. (laughs) No matter how high you climb, you're never going to get there. You rest in his grace. The sin underneath all of our sins is that we don't trust the love and grace of Christ, what we see he's done on the cross. You know, neuroscientists are saying more and more and more that whatever we think about deeply gets cemented into our brains. So guess what happens when we spend hour upon hour hour reading bad news? Cemented in your brain. Guess what happens when you spend hours and hours watching political videos and people taking each other down? It gets cemented in your brain. What happens when you spend all of this time thinking about the conflict and the problems and all the way you've been disrespected and all the people that have hurt you? It gets cemented in your brain. That's how our brains work. That's how our bodies work. So let me suggest this week of Thanksgiving to follow Paul's advice in Philippians 4.8 for this week. Here's a spiritual practice. Listen to these words. Summing it all up, friends. I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious. The best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. The best thing to think about this week is the love that Christ demonstrated by laying down his life. This Isaiah 53 suffering servant. Can you see the sacrificial love this week? Will you think about that? That when you see those arms outstretched, you would see Jesus saying to you, to me, welcome home. I made a way. Think on such things. And then as you think about it, can you share that love? Can you express that love to someone who may have forgotten it or doesn't know it? I'll show a picture on the screen. In the early 1950s, this bronze sculpture of Christ on a cross was in a French Catholic church and became the center of a controversy. The work was ordered to be removed by the bishop in 1951. It was only reinstated 20 years later. It's a sculpture of a near featureless figure whose posture incorporates the cross into the figure of Christ. In his outstretched arms, you'll notice, effectively becomes like the horizontal crossbar. Now, its critics say it's a sacrilegious deformation of sacred art, and yet there was a very strong support that came from many of the parishioners of the church. And one priest who spoke in defense of the art quoted Isaiah 53, verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of a dry ground. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And then he says this about this art. He says, this tortured body, torn to shreds, rough as tree bark, twisted and bent, is the moving vision of Isaiah translated into a cast of bronze. Now I know this. I know we... We Presbyterians and Protestants, we don't like crucifixes like our Catholic friends do. But for just this week, can we sit with the image of Jesus on the cross? Can we sit with Isaiah 53 and think about all that he's done to come down humbly 
and to take on our sin and to make a way back to him. Can we think about this servant who became broken so that you could become whole? This servant who was crushed so that you could be comforted? This servant who said to the father, not my will but yours be done? Can we take just a week to remember Jesus was on that cross? And he says to us to take up our cross and to follow me, arms stretched wide, welcoming us home. And he's saying, would you do the same, laying down your life? You know, if there's anything I've learned in my 25 years of pastoring, it's that a person's personal spiritual maturity can best be measured when they don't get their way. when they're laying down their life, when their prayers aren't getting answered, is a clearer picture of a person's spiritual maturity. When you don't get your way, let me ask you, how are you and Jesus doing? As you take this week to think about what God is revealing to you about your life in him when things don't go your way. And I know for a lot of us, a lot of things aren't going our way. Let's have a conversation with God as we think about all he's done for us. Or how do you respond when your friend gets the thing that you wanted? That's another good sign of spiritual maturity. Lord, help me. I am a sinner. Can't you see the sin in our lives? We can't even celebrate when our friends get things that we wanted. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Thank you for your grace. Help me grow more into your likeness. Lord, take our losses and our disappointments and show us how we can be grateful in the midst of the challenge. Would you pray with me? Oh God, sometimes we get so caught up in how much we don't have and don't get, and that's true. But Lord, may we trust you that you are one who is familiar with all of our griefs. Lord, you are familiar with suffering. In fact, you took on suffering. You took on sickness. You took on separation. You took on sin. You took on hell itself. And you've made a way. Lord, would you comfort those who are suffering right now, physically, emotionally, spiritually? Their finances are shot. The relationships are scarred. Oh, Lord, even our memories are scarred. Would you bring your healing touch? But this week, would you help us own Philippians 4.8? Not avoiding the reality of the bad in our lives, but owning the reality of your perfect goodness, that you are a suffering servant who rose from the dead to give us hope. Oh Lord, help us to remember that simple truth that is true. You've made a way. This world is not the last world that we will see. Our suffering is temporary and you are a healer. Would you bring healing to those who need it, Lord, today? Would you touch us with the truth and the power, Lord, of your spirit that lives within us? We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.